and Philip very seriously, very seriously, I am convinced, I'm convinced that immunizing young children for that very reason will lead to a tsunami of autoimmune diseases. We cannot, we should not, under no condition, vaccinate any child. The, what we need to do is to lower the infectious pressure. And therefore, I'm really calling for a mass administration of an antiviral. I'm not going to pronounce any names that, you know, could be censored or whatever, but a chemoprophylaxis, an antiviral for six weeks or eight weeks that can diminish the infectious pressure. Hi, I'm Dr. Philip McMillan. Welcome to another session of interviews. And today is a very interesting topic with regards to COVID-19 vaccination in children. What could be the impact on their immune system? And I'm speaking with Gert van den Bosch. It's important to know that I have been interviewing people across the world and I've been focused on the autoimmune response in COVID-19. What that means is that I have been researching that the virus triggers an immune response in people and that causes the cytokine storm. This work has been ongoing for some time and I've had the tremendous privilege of speaking to international experts. And this, uh, um, today we have the opportunity to speak again with Gert van den Bosch, who is from Belgium and he is truly an international expert with regards to vaccination. Gert, thank you very much for being with us. Thanks, Philip, for having me. Wonderful, wonderful. I think the first thing that I'm going to do, Gert, is that I am going to ask you to introduce yourself again, because people may not quite know who you are and what your background is. Okay, so here's uh, both. My background, original background, is in fact uh, veterinary medicine. Uh, I practiced veterinary medicine for a number of years, but then uh, shifted uh, to academia where I basically studied molecular biology and virology, immunology, uh, primarily in the field of uh, human infectious diseases. And uh, I then went on and worked with a number of uh, vaccine companies in uh, industry, where I worked both in uh, late development, so close to the product and uh, development of, uh, of uh, essentially viral vaccines, but uh, then uh, switched to uh, research and was uh, for many years responsible of um, and the department for adjuvant development and also alternative uh, delivery, so alternative routes of uh, delivering vaccines. And um, I uh, worked also on uh, influenza virus, uh, RSV, uh, herpes uh, virus vaccines. And then I um, concentrated more on global health, uh, global health vaccines. I worked uh, for a number of years with the uh, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, where I was a senior program uh, officer uh, in vaccine uh, discovery, where we were uh, primarily looking into novel design, uh, designs for vaccines. And uh, I then uh, 
founded, in fact, my own uh, company where I primarily concentrated on the development, uh, well, the design, I should say, of uh, uh, natural killer cell-based vaccines. In the meantime, I also worked with uh, Gavi, Global Alliance for Vaccines Immunizations, where I was a program uh, officer on the uh, Ebola program for um, this world was the Ebola vaccination and uh, Ebola uh, pandemic fight, so to say, uh, in West Africa a number of years ago. And uh, for the time being, I'm a consultant uh, for uh, biotech and uh, industry, primarily on the early uh, development, vaccines in early development. And obviously, I uh, since uh, uh, last year or beginning this year, I very intensively concentrated on uh, uh, the uh, the current pandemic, the SARS-CoV-2 pandemic. Wow, that is quite a resume, Gert. And this is why when uh, we came across this very important issue with regards to vaccination, uh, COVID vaccination in children, my go-to person to try and see if I could make sense of what this is, is yourself. Now, let me be clear. I think this was a very tough decision for regulators. We are in the middle of a pandemic. There are increased risk, it seems, for children over the in the third wave. Parents are anxious and the regulators have to do something in order to try and make people less anxious and try and do the right thing. If you were in those rooms, Gert, what would your thinking have been? Because there would be a lot of pressure, politically and otherwise, on people to make a decision that lets the population feel more comfortable about where things are going, especially in regards to their children. Your thoughts? My thoughts, uh, Philip, uh, are simply based on common sense in a sense that it is when you intervene or when you plan uh, to intervene, in the human immune system, you must very, very well understand the immune pathogenesis of the disease. If you don't really understand how the virus is interacting with the immune system, and uh, now we have the complication that this is occurring at the population level, where you have additional factors that play a role. We have been talking in previous uh, sessions about, for example, immune escape and all these type of things, so which changes, in fact, the behavior uh, of the virus. If you don't grasp this at full, if you don't really fully understand this, it's extremely dangerous uh, to intervene. And, uh, you know, right now, can you imagine, you basically have literally two camps. One camp is saying, you know, we need to vaccinate people, including children, and we need to give booster vaccinations and vaccinate, vaccinate wherever we can. And then you have other experts that are saying, well, if there is one thing we absolutely need to stop, then it is this, you know, mass vaccination campaigns. So, I mean, doesn't that illustrate literally that we don't really understand what's going on? How can experts have, you know, such divergent opinions? I mean, this never happened before. And there is a lot of talk about, uh, you know, uh, well, not even conspiracy theories, but uh, influencing and, uh, you know, pressure and, uh, you know, narratives, etc., etc. And 
but my major conclusion is that we don't understand. We don't understand what's going on. And what we are seeing right now is more, including the decision on the vaccination, is more for me like panic, a reflection of panic, than uh, it were really, you know, the um, uh, a reflection of, yes, I mean, that is something that we have really been uh, thinking very deeply of and uh, that we have understood. And now we are basically taking an action based on a thorough understanding of what is going on. So I think it's very, very dangerous what we are doing right now. We are just intervening without, literally, without understanding what is going on. And especially for me, the major factor that is missing is the understanding of the immunology in this pandemic. This is the major flaw uh, ever. We know about antibodies and we know when, you, when, when we vaccinate people that they are gonna raise antibodies. But what do we know, for example, about the innate immunity? Very, very little. And it's not a field that uh, vaccinologists have been concentrating on because innate immunity is something that you get for granted. Whereas uh, vaccine induced antibodies is not something that you get naturally, obviously. So uh, that is a major shortcoming, and especially for SARS-CoV-2, because as we all know, I mean, we have the evidence. SARS-CoV-2 came uh, to our countries, and uh, initially, the vast majority of all healthy people were simply protected, although they were, so to say, immunologically naive. So how can that be? So this is just explained by innate immunity, which is a factor, an element that has been completely, completely neglected, ignored whatsoever in this pandemic, and which is now leading to enormous confusion and, um, and erroneous decisions, erroneous uh, decisions which are uh, not only going to have uh, a detrimental impact on, uh, on health, but which is now also leading to situations like uh, discrimination uh, against uh, unvaccinated people and all things like this, which is, in my opinion, scientifically speaking, completely, but completely unjustified. But it is the immediate result from us not understanding what's, what's going on. So it's a hard time for parents. Parents have young children who are in school. Some are anxious about what is happening with COVID because some children are getting sick. There is now experts across the world saying that children 5 to 11 can be vaccinated against um, COVID-19. There's a strong possibility that this is going to become a mandate and that this is the first step towards it. Parents don't know what to do. You know, this is a very complicated area. Is there any way that you can try and simplify some of the concepts and some of the challenges that exists with regards to the immunology around the children in COVID-19? Mm. Well, uh, again, if we, if we um, don't bring innate immunity into the equation, which we should obviously do, but if we don't do this, and that, that's the way I will start to explain it. If we don't do this, the situation is simple. 
you have children that can be infected right now, children, non-vaccinated children are even an important source of infection. There's no doubt about this. And so um, you have a vaccine that can obviously, according to data, I've seen essentially data published by uh, Public Health England, that uh, vaccination can reduce the infectivity rate in, in children. So uh, on top, some children get the disease, really. So, and if you can prevent the disease, protect people from the disease, elderly people and also uh, adults, etc. Why wouldn't you vaccinate uh, the children, even young children? So yeah, that is the not, uh, yeah yeah. So that is, the, is the main question is that if people are saying that the children are a, a, a source of infection for the elderly and putting them at risk. Plus, the children can have risk as well of getting an infection, and so therefore it seems almost counterintuitive. Of course, you should want to vaccinate them. Mm. Yeah. So again, I mean, there is so many questions that we can ask and where we don't have the answers. Uh, I mean, this has been my major field or my major focus is not to leave any stone unturned and try to understand what's going on. Because, and I, I give you a simple example. We know, we know that this vaccine cannot prevent infection, cannot pre protect against infection. And then when you look, for example, at the data, Public Health England, you see that there is a tremendous impact. I'm saying tremendous impact of vaccinating children on the infectivity rate. Come on, how can that be? See, there is plenty of things that cannot be explained by just taking into account the acquired immunity and what we know about what the vaccines do, eh? inducing neutralizing antibodies. And we know they don't protect against infection. And that was also the reason why now the criteria have already been changed or the benchmark. It's no longer, you know, herd immunity, uh, preventing transmission. It's no longer even protecting just against disease. It's not protecting against severe disease. And guess what? You vaccinate children, you have a tremendous impact on infectivity. So that already tells me something is wrong. So something else is that, of course, children at the beginning of the pandemic, for a year or even longer, especially children, they were completely unaffected. Most of them were not even shedding the virus, let alone getting, getting the, the illness. So why all of a sudden now children are getting infected and, and, and get ill? So what has changed? I can tell you what has changed. The major change is that we have by, by doing the mass vaccination, we have been fostering, we have been promoting the propagation of more infectious variants. So that is to say, of course, the infectious variants existed already, the more infectious. But it's very clear that since we have been doing the mass vaccination, since we implemented mass uh, vaccination campaigns in, uh, you know, a substantial, um, to a substantial extent, that the propagation of more infectious variants uh, has been promoted and has been accelerated. 
So this already tells me, well, maybe we should see whether there is a link somewhere between the higher rate of infectiousness. So I always call this the infectious pressure uh, in the population and uh, ab abnormalities that we are observing right now. So that all of a sudden, in combination with the vaccine, you can tremendously reduce infectivity rate in, in, in children. Uh, because if you just look at the infectivity rate, you say, okay, if, if the vaccine has an effect, we, we, we need to vaccinate them. Nobody thinks on about the long-term effect of this, and nobody really knows what this is going to cause in children in terms of, uh, I would say, immune-mediated effects. So we are intervening in the immune system do we simply think that the immune system in those young people, in those children, will react in exactly the same way as in adults or uh, older people? Mm. We know that if you vaccinate somebody, whether it's a young individual or an older individual or an adult, you will always get acquired antibodies. You will get these vaccinal antibodies, no problem. That is, of course, always exceptions, people who react uh, less well to the vaccine. So they, in terms of the vaccinal antibodies, we have a kind of homologous uh, population when we vaccinate. But what in terms of innate immunity? Obviously, when, it's not when, a homologous population. Because yeah, so when you say innate immunity, Gert, are you saying, I'm just trying to help the, the, the listener to understand this, you are saying the natural baseline immune system producing antibodies and using natural killer cells to fight any kind of infection. It's almost as a, like yeah. a, a broad yeah. army. It, it, that's yeah. what you mean when you say innate yeah. immunity. And it's, it's very logical, uh, Philip. I mean, we talk about the virus, right? And we want to kill this virus. It's, uh, we want to eliminate this virus. We want to neutralize this virus. Uh, uh, that is that is the purpose, right? So then what we need to think about in terms of immunology is what I call effectors, immune effectors. Immune effectors are, for example, antibodies. Uh, antibodies can potentially neutralize the virus. And uh, effector cells that can, for example, kill virus-infected cells. We have both compartments represented in the uh, acquired immunity branch, so to say, which we know very well. That is the one we vaccinologists know very, very well, the antibodies and uh, the T cells, for example. But people forget that within the compartment of the innate immunity, you also have these humoral effectors, so the antibodies, namely the innate antibodies, and you also have innate cells that can kill virus-infected cells, which are, for example, the natural killer cells. So these are the guys that we like to talk to when we want to kill a virus or when we want to diminish the infection, etc. We need effectors that can either neutralize free circulating virus or that can kill cells that harbor a virus that obviously has entered into the, into the cells. And we have both compartments, the humoral antibody and the cellular, 
as well for the innate immunity as for the acquired immunity. So this is already to say that have you heard during this whole you know pandemic a lot about natural killer cells? Have you heard a lot about innate immunity, etc., innate antibodies? And I'm just saying this is you know an incredibly important. This is our first line of defense. When we talk about innate immunity, people come with cytokines and all this kind of stuff. I call this innate messengers. They are messengers. A cytokine is not capable in its own right of neutralizing a virus or killing a virus infected cell, right? This is all we know, vaccinologists, about innate immunity because we know that these cytokines, etc., act as a kind of adjuvant and that we need this adjuvantation to really have a full-fledged, to induce a full-fledged acquired immune response. But the most important elements and cornerstones of the innate immunity are the innate antibodies and the natural killer cells. And by the way, these are the effectors that have saved, you know, almost all people, at least all people who were in good health when the pandemic uh, came in. It was, yeah, because people were immunologically naive. And we know that those, the people who were vulnerable, were those who, with a weakened innate immune system, we know that underlying diseases, for the older you, you get, unfortunately, the higher the likelihood that you have to deal with underlying diseases and with, with a number of you know, comorbidities, et cetera. So these were the people, and there is a relationship, it's all, it's all published, relationship between your health status and the quality of your innate immunity. So if so, indeed you, you get older and you get the underlying diseases, uh, et cetera, et cetera, your health deteriorates, so does your innate immune system. These are typically the people who were vulnerable. So why didn't we already learn from the very beginning, from the very beginning where we didn't see this in healthy people, that innate immunity was really the key, the key factor that was you know, controlling the pandemic at the very beginning? So are we too short term in our approach to this pandemic? Is it that I'm trying to understand why, therefore, we're seeing some of the responses that we've seen across the world? Is it that we're trying too hard to just stop the pandemic and we're not taking the time to think and to plan and to look at the, the longer term consequences of our actions? Well, uh, personally, and I think I have said this before, um, in the mind of um, vaccinologists and uh, people who are interested in using vaccines uh, for public health, in our mind, it's like, okay, we use a vaccine to control an infection, and we have been doing this very, very successfully. and we haven't been caring that much about being in a pandemic or or not we haven't been caring that much about vaccinating you know like whole populations entire population across all uh, ages um this is something we have in fact uh, not uh, done before and uh, we have not taken those factors into account so that means that we have been using vaccines now during a pandemic just the way we would use them outside of a pandemic 
where you would vaccinate people, make sure they have nice titers of antibodies, and then they are protected, of course, uh, against, against disease, which is fine. Uh, we thought that the fact that we do this during a pandemic and that we massively vaccinate people, not just like normally with a vaccine, you have the childhood vaccines, you have the adult vaccines, you have the adolescent vaccines. This is each time a target group, one target group that you vaccinate. Uh, there's none of these vaccines is used, in fact, for mass vaccination. We thought this was all not important. A vaccine is a vaccine. And the effect of the vaccine uh, when it induces antibodies is, uh, well, it will at least uh, protect against the disease. And that will stay so, that will remain so, not taking into account that the dynamic of the pandemic leads to changes in the virus, more infectious variants that become more dominant, and that it leads also to changes in the immune pressure that the population exerts uh, these situations are very, very different from the immune response in a certain cohort during clinical trial, for example, and where you have, of course, you're not necessarily uh, in, in a pandemic. So we have simply been extrapolating to a situation which is, however, so different and not been taking into account the evolutionary dynamics and uh, the versatility of the immune response and, and also the evolutionary capacity of the virus. So, so that I'm, is, going to, I think, um, I'm, I'm going to bring up an, an image here that you had shared with me. And I want you to try and as simply as you can explain what this is about. Um, this is where we're looking at children and you are concerned about the innate immune response in comparison to the spike protein response of those children uh, in a normal infection. So this is an unvaccinated child. Is that about right? Yeah, and uh, this is always the case, uh, Philip, before we come to a complex situation of vaccinating a child. And why am I saying is this a complex situation? Because the child obviously has very good and very strong innate immunity. And now all of a sudden we, we will uh, also provide it with uh, acquired immunity. So that is a complex situation. Before we do this, we, we, we need to start out with things that are as simple as possible. So right at the beginning, we'll start out with a situation where we are dealing with in fact, not necessarily a child, but it could be a child, uh, but anyway, a person who is not vaccinated, uh, but uh, who is in a pandemic, right? So it's, it's, mm -hmm. it's a case of the non-vaccinated being exposed to a pandemic. We first need to understand what is happening before we can then move on and see what happens to a person who is in an identical situation, but who gets vaccinated, right? Yeah. So... This uh, scheme was just meant to um, illustrate that uh, innate immunity uh, has, a, so to say, a threshold where it can protect. So I told already that people who have uh, weak health, uh, underlying diseases, comorbidities, that their innate immune response is weakened and that therefore 
they will not be able to contain the virus. Um, so, but if they do, for example, at the beginning of the pandemic, yeah, the children or any healthy person, they are capable of eliminating the virus. And that is due uh, most likely, there is a number of papers that uh, very strongly suggest that this is the case through innate antibodies. And the innate antibodies, as I said, they can neutralize uh, the virus, and that has been very well described. But if they don't neutralize the virus, they can still facilitate the uh, entry into cells that can present it to, to DNK cells. This is, this is I, I'm not going to go into the detail, but the way the natural antibodies facilitate the presentation to NK cells is, of course, different from a situation where acquired antibodies facilitate virus entry into antigen-presenting cells to then be presented to the T cells, for example. It is similar, but you have different effectors. So what I'm saying is that either the innate antibodies, they can neutralize right away the virus. These are typically, for example, the children who at the beginning of the pandemic got exposed to the virus, weren't even shedding. The virus was neutralized right away. Or you can have people with, you know, less high titers of innate antibodies. The virus will get in, but the NK cells will kick in very, very fast and they will eliminate the virus. Also, these people are still part of what we call the asymptomatically infected people. And so they, they don't really infect symptoms because the virus is eliminated uh, uh, very fast. So that is the threshold where I'm saying where you have sterilizing uh, immunity. So now what is happening is that um, if, for example, you have uh, anti-spike antibodies, not from the vaccine, but uh, why would a person, why would a person uh, have anti-spike antibodies, whereas this person has not even gotten the disease? I was just saying these people have innate antibodies, eh? for example, following an asymptomatic infection, so they didn't get the disease. How then can they get to the to these antibodies? Well, this can happen uh, because people who got asymptomatically infected did not neutralize the virus right away, but they got cells infected that were afterwards eliminated by NK cells. They have at least, the immune system has at least for a short time seen the virus. It entered into the cells. It was eliminated very fast. So the immune response that you will see is short-lived. It's not a fully mature uh, response, and it does not induce B memory cells but it doesn't use uh, antibodies against the spike protein. And if somebody is having these antibodies, they last for about six to eight weeks. All this has been documented. These mm -hmm. antibodies, they can compete with the innate antibodies. And I've been describing in a number of articles how this competition works. In fact, they have both affinity for SARS-CoV-2, for the viral particles, they interact in another way with each other, and hence they compete for binding to that particle. They compete. So now you can imagine if you have an you had an asymptomatic infection, you, you're a healthy person, right? 
you got an asymptomatic infection, so you are for some time, you will be sitting on these short-lived antibodies, uh, these anti-spike antibodies. And if these antibodies can now suppress your innate antibodies, the innate antibodies are not destroyed. It's just like they are bypassed because the anti-spike antibodies, they bind strongly enough to the SARS-CoV-2 particle that the innate antibodies have uh, barely a chance to bind. They are not necessarily completely outcompeted. They can bind to some extent, but they don't fully bind uh, to it. So if that, if, if now you imagine that these antibodies, nor, which normally last for six to eight weeks, that this person who is sitting on these antibodies gets continuously in contact with, with the virus, which is the case right now with young people, for example, you know, people are having contact. This virus is so highly infectious, this Delta variant, that the likelihood that people get in contact with the virus over and over again uh, becomes very high. So in other words, your short-lived spike antibodies have no chance or have barely any chance to decline. And they can, they can to some extent compete with your innate antibodies. And what happens and what, what is this doing? Therefore, uh, Philip, you, uh, if, you, if you like, uh, please show the slide again. Yeah. yeah. So what is happening, that's what I put at the, uh, at the bottom of this uh, slide. So obviously, when, uh, and this is the situation uh, number one, uh, I put the one, uh, say, to the arrow, where the level of protection uh, that is afforded or that is provided, sorry, that is provided by your innate antibodies has come down to the level of NP1. It has come down. So it is, in other words, no longer inducing sterilizing immunity because it is underneath the threshold, but it can still bind to the virus. And what does this do? Well, this has an important uh, effect in a sense that this will enable training of your innate immunity. So, in fact, the innate antibodies that have a very broad spectrum that can cover all kinds of different SARS-CoV-2 variants and even coronaviruses, so they have this broad spectrum, they were all of a sudden was their affinity no longer strong enough to bind to the virus in a way that it could completely eliminate it. As I was saying, you're underneath the threshold, no longer sterilizing immunity. So that is, it, it seems, it, it is like the, the, the innate immune system would try to uh, improve, in fact, the strength of binding of these innate antibodies to still remain polyreactive, to still remain very, very broad. And that is the training. That is the training that means that when the innate immune response has been to some extent suppressed by uh, the anti-spike antibodies, it will react in a way because it has recognized the antigen, of course. The innate antibodies have seen the virus. It will react in a way that it improves its binding 
to this um, SARS-CoV-2 particle. And the way this occurs is by stimulation, by activation, I, I should say, by activation of pre-existing. So they exist as, you know, from birth, from pre-existing B memory cells that secrete IgMs, polyreactive antibodies. So in this way, in fact, you have two things. First of all, the innate immune system does a kind of upgrade because it has now, it will now produce antibodies that recognize with somewhat a higher affinity the SARS-CoV-2. And that is an interesting situation because the IgNs that are secreted by the plasma cells that are generated by this IgM secreting B memory cells, they are still polyreactive. They are still capable, which is important for a young child at the beginning of its life to still recognize a diversified spectrum of different pathogens. So, so this is a marvelous thing. This is a marvelous thing that the, the immune system does. It learns to train its immune cells, its innate immune cells, so that it can now better cope with this invading pathogen without compromising its broad spectrum that it will still maintain to also fight other pathogens by exactly the same way of innate immunity. So let me understand then. So what you're saying is that even in children, because say the Delta variant is so much more infectious, they are being continuously exposed to the virus. They are getting continual spikes of their S protein, and this is suppressing their innate immune system. So that seems to be pushing the narrative even further that these children should therefore benefit from vaccination. It, that's what I would get from that. It, is that a correct interpretation? Well, no, it is not, but uh, we, we cannot, uh, since these things are unfortunately relatively complex, we can really not afford to skip, uh, to, to skip some steps. So the, to, to your point first, to your first point, Philip, when these children, their innate immunity is suppressed, okay? So, but to the extent that is not completely outcompeted, the innate antibodies will still recognize the virus and will get trained. And this is a memory training. Can you imagine the value of this? This is something that is still polyreactive and that has no memory, right? So, but you could say, and this is of course true, that if the innate immunity get now suppressed too much, if the innate antibodies can no longer even bind to the virus because the anti-spike protein antibodies bind so strongly that the innate antibodies are completely outcompeted, then of course you break, the virus breaks in fact through the innate immunity and the child will get ill, will, will get a disease. But this is also another misunderstanding, uh, I would say, by all of us, first of all, the likelihood that that happens will depend 
on the status of the innate immune status of the child. For example, pandemic, flu pandemic, 1918. Young soldiers, 16 years old, 70 years old, etc., who were fighting in the trenches. You know, you can imagine the situation, the conditions. Very bad innate immunity. The, the virus had no problem to immediately break through that innate immunity and to make these this soldiers, these young people ill, right? Mm. If we look right now, the children that get the disease, and certainly, you know, severe disease, or rather rare, our children right now are in much better health, much better nutrition, all, you know, I mean, especially in our Western countries, of course. Uh, they have, you know, very good health status in general. So it's much more difficult for the virus to break through that health status. So that is one lesson, first of all. Can your child, if it is not vaccinated, can it get ill? Of course it can. What is the likelihood that it will get severe disease is very, very, very low. And we should really make a difference between severe disease and, and disease. It's not abnormal to get ill because remember, if these children then recover, they get a disease, they may maybe be in bed for a few days, I don't know, not necessarily, but they will then develop lifelong immunity, acquired immunity. That is very, very clear. And of course, if their innate immune status is severely depressed, and this could also be due to genetic deficiencies or, 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 the, or underlying diseases, then that is, of course, a different situation. Then these children will get ill and could, could even get, uh, get a severe disease. But we have to bear in mind that a normal situation where a child in good health can deal with it and either develops asymptomatic infection and has the benefit of training its innate immune system while still being able to tackle a number of other pathogens, that is a very favorable situation. I would say almost the worst case scenario, the child get a disease, okay, then it will, uh, when it recovers, acquire also quite broad protective immunity through acquired, uh, acquired antibodies. So, so you, that you, is you, a normal situation. So you can't be saying, therefore, to just let the children get COVID-19. That would seem as though that's too high a risk, isn't it, for the children? Even though they have a small risk, some could get seriously ill and some could die. Uh, why not just protect them with vaccination? Well, right now, you know, Aaron, this is, this is uh, paradoxical. Paradoxically enough, children right now, have never been better protected against disease than now. That is very, very strange. So how can we explain this? And again, now I have to come to the point that if this were due to innate immunity, so far I've been talking about innate immunity. If a child has sufficient innate immunity, as innate immunity is sterilizing, it will eliminate the virus, it will fight infection, and because it does that, automatically the child must be protected against disease. So with sterilizing immunity, innate immunity, 
protection against infection goes hand in hand with protection against disease. In order to get a disease, you first need to get infected. So what we see right now is that we see children that are protected against disease. Look at the public health, uh, the uh, uh, pub yeah, public health England data. The children, the class under the age of 18, there is almost no disease. So these young children now develop almost no disease. However, however, they are all but protected against infection. On the contrary, it's a major source of infection are now these unvaccinated children. But this is already should already ring a bell. So what is going on here? Because these children, it cannot be the innate immunity because protecting you know, you can only be protected against disease, provided you are protected against infection when it comes to innate immunity. Here, the situation is different. And why does this, why is this the case? So on one hand side, you could say, well, the likelihood, and frankly speaking, I don't think that the major driver right now to even think of vaccinating children and I'm talking especially in countries like the US, like the UK, like even Belgium. I mean, in all countries that have high vaccination rates and where the Delta variant is, is, is really propagating at, at very high speed and in, in high quantities. Uh, in these countries, you will see that the, the children you know, are extremely well protected against the disease. So. I don't think that the major driver in these countries to get the children vaccinated is to protect them from the disease, but it is essentially to prevent them from spreading the virus. But that is something that is not understood because didn't we say all the time that the virus does not, uh, that the vaccine does not protect against infection and that it does not protect against transmission? And on the other hand, we see now in children a tremendous effect of the vaccine to protect against the infection. The infection rates in the vaccinated children, they are incredibly low compared to the infection rates in the non-vaccinated children. So none of this makes sense unless, unless you bring in the combination of the innate immunity and the acquired immunity. As I was saying, if the children are continuously getting in contact with the virus more and more, they will mount anti-spike antibodies, short-lived anti-spike antibodies that can completely outcompete the innate immune antibodies. So what would that mean? No protection whatsoever because innate immunity is outcompeted. No, you will still have protection because now the anti-spike protein, the anti-spike antibodies at a high level will bind so strongly to the SARS-CoV-2 particles that it is not capable of, of uh, preventing um, the infection, but it can prevent the disease in its own right. So the, pre the protection that these children are now enjoying against the disease comes and I'm talking about non-vaccinated children, comes 
from the short-lived anti-spike antibodies that are now continuously present, that have no chance even to decline, and that completely outcompete the innate antibodies. So this is something which is a very strange situation, a very strange situation and already illustrates that if you would stratify and you would take it per age group, well, normally with the pandemic, you see that the disease rate is following the infection, etc. Here it is completely disconnected. These unvaccinated young children are protected better than ever against the disease but they are a very important source of, uh, of infectivity. And, and so, uh, so what uh, therefore is the solution, Gert? Because as you can say, you've, you've highlighted the, the very strange circumstance where yes, the vaccine does protect the children, you know, and, and what, what do parents do? Do yeah, they- well, we need to take it one step further. Now we are going to vaccinate the children, right? After all these other steps, now we are going to vaccinate the children. We have already learned that anti-spike antibodies that strongly bind to the virus can completely outcompete innate immunity. Even in children, even in children who are not vaccinated, but continuously exposed to the virus, the short-lived anti-spike antibodies can bind strongly enough to the virus to outcompete innate immunity and to provide protection against disease. So now if you add one layer, you add one layer where you are now going to vaccinate these children and induce antibodies, that bind even much stronger than the short-lived antibodies that uh, children acquire following asymptomatic infection, then for sure you're going to completely outcompete the innate antibodies. That is, that is one thing. And um, the other thing is that these vaccinal antibodies will now strongly bind to the virus, but they will no longer, this combination will of course no longer allow training of the innate immune system of the child. So the training of the innate immune system of a child is so important because it's going to protect them at an early age to numerous other pathogens. Uh, they are, these IgMs have a broad spectrum. If you prevent this training, what you are going to do, first of all, with the children that are not vaccinated, but that are continuously exposed to the virus and develop this long, this, this short-lived, uh, high titers of short-lived antibodies, they, their innate immune response is, is, is suppressed and the virus will continuously, uh, they will continuously encounter the virus. So it will still, it can still induce training, but the training will be very, very limited to the SARS-CoV-2 uh, antigen because that is the antigen that it is the innate immune system that is in the process of being trained is seeing all the time. So 
that means that even the non-vaccinated children right now, because of the high infectious pressure, are more and more concentrating, even with regard to their trained immunity, on the SARS-CoV-2 and have not enough leeway to fight other pathogens that they would normally easily deal with at that young age, right? If you now vaccinate the children, you are pushing this one step further because now you are not going to allow any training at all. The innate immune system is very strongly and I would say almost durably suppressed. Why durably? Every single time that this child is going to encounter the Delta variant, which is circulating all the time, it will get it will get its antibodies boosted. It's acquired antibodies boosted and the suppression will be continued. So now I'm in a situation where the innate immunity is continuously suppressed while the virus is continuously attacking this child. Why? Yeah, because we know that the vaccinal antibodies cannot limit or cannot prevent spread and transmission of the virus. So it gets continuously, continuously confronted with the virus. The innate, the acquired immunity cannot do anything about this because the uh, antibodies cannot prevent infection. The um, innate immune system cannot be trained because innate, you know, uh, immune cells have been outcompeted. And then what we get, and this is typically what we see in naive children, when they get confronted with a pathogen, they will secrete naive antibodies. So that means we have no trained immunity. So the memory cells forget about them. They have not been activated, but the naive uh, IgM secreting B cells, they will now secrete more and more antibodies. And those antibodies, they can recognize self-like motifs. You have to imagine what is the purpose of these innate antibodies. An important purpose of the innate antibodies is to eliminate self-like components, self-like that resemble self uh, proteins or self glycans, uh, uh, to remove them, the freezer to remove them, because if they get recognized by the normal B and T cells, then you get autoimmunity. So you have to imagine we are re renewing our cells all the time, etc., and and that leads, of course, to apoptosis. Cells die, and there is debris. And this debris, these are de degraded proteins or uh, degraded structures. They are no longer identical to self, but they are self-like. Well, these antibodies, these naive antibodies are capable of recognizing the self-like structures to eliminate them because if they would become more foreign, they could be recognized by T cells, by B cells, etc. So this is a very, very important function. So as I was saying, in the vaccinated children, no training, the acquired uh, antibodies cannot do anything, but I have frequent and repeated encounter with the pathogen. And so what these naive cells do is that they will simply secrete more self-like antibodies. And because the concentrations become very high, the self-like antibodies can now start to recognize self-structures. And Philip, very seriously, very seriously, I am convinced 
I'm convinced that immunizing young children for that very reason will lead to a tsunami of autoimmune diseases. And the benefit that they will get from the vaccine is no better than the, the, the vaccine, than the benefit anybody else will get from the vaccine. Namely, when immune escape occurs, and that is, that is already going on, the virus will completely uh, escape from the neutralizing antibodies. And whether this is an adult, an elderly, or a child, they will not be protected. But on the other hand, we have been vaccinated, uh, vaccinating children that, you know, for the time being, there is no problem. They barely get any disease. And if we would simply imagine, if we would simply diminish the infectious pressure, we would diminish it, then we would no longer outcompete innate antibodies. At most, the anti-spike antibodies could compete with them, but not outcompete them. And that would stimulate training of their innate immune response. And that is what we need. So it's as simple as that. We cannot, we should not, under no condition, vaccinate any child. The, what we need to do is to lower the infectious pressure. And therefore, I'm really calling for a mass administration of an antiviral. I'm not going to pronounce any names that you know could be censored or whatever, but a chemoprophylaxis, an antiviral for six weeks or eight weeks that can diminish the infectious pressure. The child can perfectly deal with it. I have explained it. Maybe it can get mild disease, but then it develops anyway, lifelong acquired immunity, or it deals with it in a completely asymptomatic way and trains its immunity. Training means that next time around, the memory is there to attack, uh, to attack the, the SARS-CoV-2 virus. And on top, it still preserves its broad spectrum of um, effectivity against a number of other pathogens, which is, which is crucial, which is critical for a young child, of course, right? Because it's, not, it's still so naive. You see, these things are complex. And simply not factoring in or not bringing into the equation the innate immunity lead to very short-sighted but completely dangerous and harmful decisions of vaccinating young children that can be pro completely and broadly against all variants, against all variants, protected thanks to their innate immunity, provided, provided we don't put it under tremendous pressure like the vaccines are doing, and like repeated exposure to infectious variants is doing. So let's diminish this infectious pressure and there is no problem. We will get back to the situation like at the beginning of the pandemic with low infectious pressure, where there was no child. Of course, we, we told to the, to the children, wear masks and, uh, and, and, and you know we, we also involved them in the lockdowns, etc., which was a complete nonsense. In order to train your innate immune system, you need to get in contact with, with the pathogens. And normally this is a very nice equilibrium that from time to time will lead to disease, very extremely rarely to severe disease and only in children that have really problems and under underlying problems. But otherwise it leads to mild disease, consequence, lifelong acquired immunity or asymptomatic infection, consequence, training of your innate immunity and a broad 
broadly diversified immune defense that is maintained against other pathogens. So wow, I will... Wow. I think, I, I, yes, I think that that is a point. That's where I think that we need to pause with regards to what was, what was being said, Gert. I think that you said something there that I never thought of, is that the way to reduce the immune pressure may be to use an antiviral along with natural infection. I had never thought about that. And we do now have a, a few antivirals, but granted, we don't know the long-term risks with them, but there may be other options available that would allow us to be able to reduce that infectious pressure. Mm. Um, yeah. Yes, go ahead. But Philip, I'm completely aware about, you know, long-term side effects. And you will never hear me saying, use an antiviral in a completely prophylactic way or for a long time. Remember, I was talking about these anti-spike antibodies that have, that remain that can be detected for about six to eight weeks. If you, if you tell people to stay at home for like six to eight weeks in an ideal world, that these antibodies can decline. And in the meantime, in the meantime, so when they decline, that means that their capacity, their capacity to sterilize the virus when they encounter it, it's completely restored. Remember, it's no longer suppressed. It's completely restored. And during that time, you use an antiviral that can suppress the infectious pressure, that can diminish the infectious pressure in the population. Then you can get all these people back, you know, and socialize and have contact. All they will do, because they got their sterilizing capacity restored, they will further diminish the infectious pressure, right? And that is exactly what happened when Boris Johnson, uh, in July, lifted the uh, lockdown measures. People had, uh, you know, been staying away from social contacts, etc., for a, for for a certain time. The antibodies declined from those who were not vaccinated. The antibodies declined, and then they got back into society, and they were the guys who brought down the infectious pressure without any antivirals used massively they in their own right brought down the infectious pressure within two weeks in, in a very spectacular way. You, you should look at what happened with the case rates in the UK, you know, the, the world in data, uh, in July, after July 21st, I think that uh, the measures were lifted. There was a spectacular decrease. So you cannot afford this when the infectious pressure is too high. Bring it down. And then you restore the capacity, the, 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 the virus sterilizing capacity of the unvaccinated people, thanks to their innate immunity. And then we have a situation that we get back to a situation like at the beginning of the pandemic. So people are underestimating the, 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 the consequences of the high infectious pressure. I tell you, according to my humble opinion, it's the single most critical problem that we have. How do we get rid of this high infectious pressure that is causing, you know, that is indirectly leading to immune escape and that is eroding basically the innate immune system of the youngsters and, and, and the children so that they cannot, they cannot build uh, trained immunity, right? Trained yeah. innate immunity.
Wonderful, wonderful girl. I, I am sure this is going to need another discussion because this is such a complex area and um, it's something that is, is difficult, I know, for people to grasp all of the nuances. But you are right about one thing, Gert. We do need to start thinking differently. We do need to start mm, thinking yeah. much more long term in order to get ourselves out of this pandemic. I want to thank everybody and I want to thank Gert for being here with me. And uh, please look out. I'm sure we'll need to talk again with Gert to explore some of these concepts further as we continue to look at solutions for this COVID-19 pandemic. Thank you very much.